Awesome, awesome, awesome. Awesome, welcome. Welcome everyone to Zenful Conversations. Uh, you can find us having conversations daily in a private Facebook group for women. That is also titled Zenful Conversations. We're in our fourth year, which is remarkable. And you can find information on this group and other offerings at zenfulconversations.com. My name is Zen Jen Brown. I'm your host tonight. And we're here today with our guest speaker, spiritual icon and author, Peter Russell. Uh, Peter, you absolutely amaze me. And I wanted to thank you so much for agreeing to be with us tonight. Oh, my pleasure. Always happy to chat to people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, completely, completely. I'm fascinated learning about you. I really am. So let me just say a little bit about Peter, a little bit about Peter. And I'm just going to read actually from the little bit of the jacket of this one and a little bit of the jacket of this other book of Peter. Peter's has 12 books. So Peter Russell is an author, speaker, and leading thinker on consciousness and contemporary spirituality. He earned his first class honors degree in theoretical physics and psychology, as well as a master's degree in computer science at the University of Cambridge, England. He also studied meditation and Eastern philosophy in India. He's the author of 12 books, including Waking Up in Time and From Science to God, and he lives in Northern California. Um, and he, this I found fascinating, was one of the first people to introduce self-development seminars to businesses. And for 20 years, he consulted to major corporations on creativity, learning methods, stress management, and sustainability. He now lectures around the world on consciousness and the future evolution of humanity. And like I said, I couldn't be any more delighted that you're here tonight to talk to us. Everybody is probably sick about of hearing me talk about you. <laughs> but I've, I've found it so, so uh, it's been such a joy to learn about you. And, and I really appreciate, I really appreciate once again. Um, so before we get to your book, because I, this, this book is actually the whole reason that we came across you. Um, and before we get that, I just wanted to, we, we, most of these ladies are from um, the groups that, that we read in, and we have been reading for four years now, we're in the, the group for four years, and we have been reading uh, how to improve our experience of life, different tools we can use, and just knowing that we actually can, can, can make life better. Uh, and releasing trauma energy from traumas and all this stuff. Energy is a good part of our conversation. And that is how we came across your book, Letting Go, because that's foundational to anything you're going to do. So we're going to get to this in a moment, but there's I need to back up a little bit because some of these ladies are now like, whoa, what? You know, there's, they're kind of lost in the consciousness. So I just want to go over a few little bit first. Um, as I understand it, you've been studying the brain and consciousness all your life, pretty much. Pretty much, it's been it's been the dominant theme in one way or another. In one way or another, yes, yeah. Um, yeah, I was this studying. entire, yeah. Go ahead if you would. Could you explain a little bit of your path because it took you to India and everything? Yes, yes. Um, 
Well, I started off, I mean, I had no interest in this area, you know, when I was a kid at school, I was, you know, a budding scientist, I was good at it, I was mathematician, really, and I went to Cambridge in England and was studying maths and and then I sort of gradually realized, I was also always interested in consciousness, even then. I wasn't interested in religion, but I was interested in the mind and the brain and that sort of thing. And I came to this point where I realized that no amount of physics would ever explain why we have experiences. Why, we actually, why aren't we just biological robots doing our thing, reacting, walking, or whatever? Why do we actually experience it? And there was nothing in science that could explain why we actually had inner experiences. And so I got more and more interested in, in the brain and consciousness, and I actually studied neuroscience for a while, thinking that would help. And I learned a lot about the brain and memory and neurons and brain chemistry and all that. And nobody was interested in consciousness, really. Um, it was just something, it was just like, almost like a nuisance. Consciousness was a nuisance for science. And yet, all of science takes place in consciousness. I mean, all the, not the actual experiments, but all the, you know, the theorizing, the conclusions, all of that, you know, the thinking about it all takes place in consciousness. So without consciousness, there'd be no science, and yet science couldn't possibly explain consciousness. So that got me interested in other approaches, which were the more mystical approaches. And so I started reading that sort of material and got interested in meditation, and that I became fascinated by that. And I learned at the beginning, I learned TM, Transcendental Meditation, and I really liked that. And then went out to India to study that more. So uh, this, this was in late 60s. I went to India, drove there, in fact. From England, you can drive over land once you get across the channel. You can drive all the way, which was fascinating. Afghanistan was a totally free country then, an amazing country. It's such a tragedy to see what's happened to it. Um, and that was really, I suppose India was a turning point for me. I, I got to see, for first I got to see there was something in religion after all. I sort of rejected religion as a kid. You know, it's just a load of weird, out of date mumbo jumbo that had no relevance to my life. And then I realized when I was in India that there was something, something behind all the great traditions in one way or another. They were all pointing to the fact that we function from a limited mode of consciousness. We're, we're sort of trapped inside um, one might call it a materialistic mode. We're you know, always concerned about the outside world, what's going to happen. Someone called it an ego mode where we're continually looking at our own needs and wants and things. And so I began to get fascinated by what is it? What is the common core of all religions? And that became a fascination for my life, really, just the, looking at distilling what is that common essence. And also realizing that behind all the problems in the world, whether they're sort of economic, personal, social, environmental problems, all of them, there's human thinking, human decision making behind it. And most of that human decision making is coming from self-centered, power-hungry, materialistic motives. And so as well as doing all we can to, you know, repair the world and keep it in a safe place, we also need to look at the consciousness which is causing these problems in the first place. And so that became a motivation as well to really explore consciousness 
much more deeply and it's that really started me off and in my exploration and over the years explored different techniques of meditation and now sort of really developed my own which is really making it just so so simple and easy because people have so much trouble often when they hear about meditation and looking at the role in the world in our evolution and where we're going and I suppose in recent years just come to see that the essence of all these different traditions is is letting go whether you talk whether it's surrender to God forgiveness it's I'm giving up things it's all about letting go in one way or another and so that became a primary research project for me not so much what is letting go but how can we facilitate letting go and that's what the new book is about it really brings together a lot of the things I've explored myself in my own life of really what what helps in my own experience of letting go so that's a brief survey of how I got here some detail <laughs> Uh, it, very brief too. Uh, it, it would be like days to to describe your all of your. Uh, you know, I'm just gonna just this letting go of nothing is Peter's latest book, and it's um, an Eckhart Tolle edition. In fact, the forward was written by Eckhart Tolle, and I just wanted to look a little bit about that. Um, Eckhart Tolle's what he wrote was since ancient times the practice of letting go has been recognized in both eastern and western religious traditions as a prerequisite for self-transcendence and spiritual awakening that this is an invaluable book can become an essential companion to your spiritual path because it clearly shows the importance of the inner dimension of letting go and then he talks a little bit more he talks a little bit more but he says most humans are almost literally possessed by thought. They don't think, but thinking happens to them. The beginning of spiritual awakening is the realization that you are not the voice in your head, but the one who is aware of the voice. You are the awareness beyond your thoughts. And it talks about using this book as a manual for inner letting go, which is the primary spiritual practice. Um, and perhaps you begin to realize that you are not a person, but an essential and intrinsic part of evolution of the universal consciousness. Um, we take a look at this. We read from this book every day. Oh, you do? We, we absolutely read from this book every day. Uh, and, and, and actually, this is our second time through it this year. This year. It's our second time through it. Um, The title of the book, Letting Go of Nothing. Do you want to expand yeah. on how you came up with that title? Yes, I had the title, oh, some time ago, um, before I had the book, <laughs> before I had this version of the book. I tried writing the book several times and it wasn't working. And then I realized I was trying to write it like a regular book, like chapter one and then chapter two, we do this and chapter three and gradually expound the whole thing. And then, I mean, what you all know now, if you've been studying it, I just decided the way I wanted to do it was just a series of little independent essays, which actually built on each other, but each one had a little gem or teaching in it. And when I did that, then the whole book just came together so much more easily. Um, the title, Letting Go of Nothing, deliberately provocative. <laughs> provocative titles are always good. They make you 
sit up and listen. What on earth does he mean, letting go of nothing? How can we let go of nothing? Hmm. Um, we think of letting go as letting go of things or our thoughts. You know, I need to, you know, let go of my let go of money concerns or let go of money or let go of whatever it is i mean i recently had it i had so many books in storage in england they've been there for 10 years and i had to move them i didn't even know what was there and i had to let go of all these books well, i wasn't letting go of them i was trying to arrange more storage and arrange somebody to move them into another storage for me and that was going to cost me money i'm thinking i've been paying all this money for 10 years i don't even know what books are there i just know there's boxes and boxes and boxes of books and then I looked at it and I realized I was what was behind it? Why was I holding on? This is, you know, this is why do why do we actually hold on in the first place? And I realized I had this idea that one day I might move back to England and have a nice little cottage somewhere and would want the books back to line the walls and have nice bookcases. It's like, what? I'm paying all this money on the, if I perhaps went back to England, I could have the books back. It's like, this is silly. And what I saw was, what I was holding on to was not the books, but this idea that they might be useful at some stage, which is, you know, it's a point of view. It's what psychologists call a mindset. And whenever we come up to letting go, we're not letting go of the actual things or even even our thoughts or feelings so much, but we're letting go of what is it behind them, the mindset, which is the way we see things. And that is not a thing. Um, it, it's the filter through which we see the world. And so I, I was seeing my book through this filter that they might be useful at some stage. And I use the analogy sometimes, if you put on blue, blue spectacles, you see the world as blue. So the spectacles are colouring everything you see, you see as blue. But you don't see the actual spectacles. You're looking through them. So the spectacles are not actually a thing in the world you see. They're, how, they're what you're looking through the world to see the world you see. And it's the same with our mindsets. We have these beliefs, these attachments, whatever it is, these ideas which is how we see the world and what we're letting go of is those and those aren't actually things in the world. They are a mental, if you like, mental conditions, they're the mindsets, the, the framework through which we're seeing the world, but we don't actually see them in the world. So they're not a thing in the world. So the pun is we're letting go of no thing. We're not letting go of things. We're letting go of the no thing, which is the mindset, the attachments, the beliefs, the ideas we have, we're letting go of them. So we're letting go of not so much nothing, we're letting go of non-things. We're not letting go of the things themselves, we're letting go of the view we have of them. So that's where the title right. comes from. That's, that's, uh, so that's what I was gonna ask, but letting go, it's a mindset, it's a change in our perception then, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's what it is. It's a change. It's a change in perception. It's a change in how we see things. And so we, when we let go of a particular way of seeing something, you know, whether it's a relationship or another person or whatever it is, something we wanted to do, we're really excited about and can't do, we have to let go of it. You know, it's about letting go of what, what is our attachment in the mind, which is why do we think we're obviously, if we're holding on to something, we think it's important. 
whatever we're holding on to, there's some reason for holding on. We think we think it's valuable, it's necessary, it's important, whatever it is. And that's why it's there. But also begin to see that what we're holding on to actually has a limitation as well. It makes us usually makes us tense or uptight, um, brings up various emotions we'd be better off without, and and stops us seeing other things in the world. Right. Uh, I think initially we probably got involved in the, in the group, probably got involved in this conversation because we talk, we do talk about releasing the energy from traumas and different things in our lives. Yes. Yes. That's probably how we, how we, cause there's like, you can let go of these shoes that I can't walk in anymore right. <laughs> or, or release things that happened when you were a child. Uh, so it's all the same thought process. It's different thought processes, but it's the same basic principle. Well, the, the second thing is, I mean, since you've all studied the book, you'll know this now, it's not going to be news to you. But how I how I've come to reframe letting go is not as trying to get rid of something. So if you've got some trauma from early life, it's not getting rid of the trauma or even getting rid of the experience. We tend to think of letting I've got to let go of this means I've got to not have it anymore. What we really mean is I've got to have not have it bother me anymore, not have it bother me. And so what we tend to do is push things to the back of our mind, push them away. If I push this away, keep it to the edge of my mind, it's not controlling me, it's not bothering me. What I found time and time again is the opposite. I mean, and as many, many people have said, you know, to let go, one of the key things is to let be. I mean, the Beatles said it beautifully, let it be, let it be. And many other teachers have said, let be. But when they're saying letting be, they're usually saying, let the situation be. Don't worry about it. You know, don't get upset about it. Let it be. Allow things to be as they are, which is which is really important. That's a very good attitude. What I found is to go deeper and let our experience be. If the experience is one of feeling upset about something, allow it to be there allow the experience to actually be there and get into it but before we can do that we have to let it in and so that's why i reframe letting go as letting in and letting be because usually if we've got something we're pushing it to the back of our mind because we don't want uncomfortable experiences we don't like them they're not what we want and so we push them away and so the first thing is to do the opposite and let it in so if it if it is some you know some emotion that's coming up as a result of some trauma let it in you know say okay what is it what's actually happening here and well, usually the first thing is to go to the body is because we tend to go to the head in our culture a lot but go to the body actually let in what's happening in the body when i feel this whatever the feeling is you know if it's resentment anger whatever just notice what's actually happening in the body to let let the feeling in because a feeling is not an idea a feeling is a feeling it's how it actually feels in the body and that's that's really important to actually allow in the feeling itself not the stories we have about it the thoughts we have about it but allowing in the actual feeling that's there whatever it is and allowing it to be there it's okay oh i noticed this there's this tightness in my stomach or there's a sort of shakiness I'm feeling in my hands or something or it's a, whatever it is, there's, a, you know, there's an emptiness in my chest. 
whatever these feelings are, explore them, like investigate them, like get interested in them. That's how you let them in is get interested, be curious what's going on. And when you do that and allow it to be, first of all, you're not resisting it anymore. And the resistance is always part of the problem, but you're not resisting it anymore. And things tend to start unwinding of their own accord because you're giving them space to sort of metabolize themselves. You're giving them space by allowing them into your awareness. And so that's what I found time and time and time again, really helps whether it's, you know, even some physical pain or discomfort or emotional or some, some expectation or something I want is just coming back to, okay, what's going on? What's going on in my body? What's the feeling here? And noticing that just, that's why I say just letting in and letting be, I found is really the crucial thing. Being the witness almost then to that, right? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um, a couple sections in the book really got me the, the resistance, and the story, I think those are because you, you talk about them as they're actually additional things. Yeah. They're additional things that you have to work through now to in, instead of just accepting what is. Right. The resist, both of these are really important. The resistance, you mentioned that we do that first, is when there is some uncomfortable feeling some uncomfortable emotion as i said we tend to push it away we tend we tend to resist it as i said we don't want to experience it and the resistance sets up a barrier you know we're deliberately trying not to experience it but the resistance itself is is an emotion in a way it's not allowing it in and so that's why i suggest in the book you know if, if you're resisting an experience First of all, go for the resistance. Look at how does how does the resistance feel? And there's usually some tightness or pushing away. There's something going in the body when you're resisting. And if you allow in that, if you allow in the sensation, the feeling of resisting, when that begins to dissolve, then you can begin to notice the feeling itself. So what we often tend to do is sort of push out, we, we ignore the resistance and try to go straight for the feeling when part of us is still resisting it. So if you can soften the resistance, let that go, then it becomes easier to let in the feelings. And there's that old saying I quote in the book, you know, pain is inevitable, resistance, suffering is optional. I mean, the pain, we have pain, whether it's, you know, physical pain, emotional pain, whatever, we have discomforts. And they are, they are what they are. But then what happens is we resist it. We wish it weren't there. I wish that pain weren't there. I wish I wasn't experiencing this. And that wishing it weren't there, the resistance to it is what adds, is what we call the suffering, the suffering over the pain. So I think in Buddhism, they call that stabbing yourself twice with an arrow. You stab yourself the first time and it hurts. And because it hurts, you stab yourself a second time. You add to the pain. It's like the same thing. We, we're feeling some discomfort, some pain, and then we, we resist it, which adds to our discomfort. We start getting upset about the upset, whatever it is, we get upset about the pain or whatever it is. And so the first thing to do is stop being upset about it, accepting this is what is, and then you know experiencing, allowing it to be there. And you mentioned stories, along with every single emotion, 
the sum story. There is something we are telling ourselves. That's what I mean by a story. It's some thought system that we are telling ourselves. And, you know, classic one, if I'm angry at somebody or even myself, but if I'm angry, just like somebody else to begin with, I'm angry because that person didn't behave as I expected them to, is the sort of the, the general bottom line. They, they didn't behave as I expected them to. Um, with actually a subtext, they didn't behave as I would like them to, for me to be happy, for me to feel okay. They upset my world in some way or other. And, you know, whenever you, you can notice that, there's some story about them. And usually the story includes, you know, a judgment of them. They were stupid. They shouldn't have done it, whatever. And what happens is the story and the sensation sort of go together. When you tell yourself the story, that just makes you feel more angry again. Oh, you know, I'm so pissed off with them or what they did or what they said. <laughs> and that creates, that just reinforces the feeling in the body. You feel uptight, more uptight, and that feeling of uptightness just reminds you of the story. And the two sort of go hand in hand. So I say equally important, as well as letting go of the feelings in the body, first of all, go to the body. But then, you know, look at the story. What is it you're actually telling yourself? Um, and look deeply into it, you know, with, with someone being, you know, if you're angry at someone because, you know, you don't like what they said or did, you know, maybe put yourself in their shoes and see, is there another story? Is there another story here? I'm holding on to this particular story, which is my story about what went on and what happened. But, you know, how were they feeling? What were they expecting of me? What was their intention? I mean, Maybe they had a bad day. Who knows? We can sort of look, look at the story and begin to let go of that as well, particularly by yeah, finding, finding another way of looking at things. Again, it comes back to the mindset. If we're angry, we have this mindset that the other person did wrong and they are whatever we want to call them. That's the mindset through which we're seeing them. But if we can step back and look through a different lens and see them from you know, perhaps their own point of view, what were they concerned about? How did they think of us? What was going on for them? We have a different lens to see them. And that often leads to a more compassionate point of view, and one where the, the, sto the story changes and our feelings begin to change. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Thank you. Um, I would like to see if anybody has any questions. Yes. Um, we can... Um, Oh, you're allowed to open up the microphone and come on screen, or you can write in the chat box if you'd rather not be on screen. But does anybody have any questions? I do. Okay, Juanita, go ahead. Hi, thanks for um, inviting me tonight. Peter. Yes. Um, hi, um, I'm very intrigued with your book. And you were talking about um, a feeling is a thought um, that becomes, this is my intake and please correct me and if I'm wrong, a feeling is a thought that becomes a story towards an imagination, then it can lead into the body and allow it to come in. That's where we should let it go and just be. Then, it becomes nothing 
to let it go. Is that correct? Sort of. Um, let's look at this compact of feeling. We use the word feeling in two different ways in our language. We're talking about an emotion as a feeling. You know, I feel sad, I feel happy, I feel excited, whatever. We have we use the word feeling in that way. You know, how, how are you feeling today? That sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And we use the word feeling as an actual how the body is a sensation. You know, I feel I feel a prick in my arm. I feel warm. I feel hot. I feel whatever it is. I feel a tingling. So we use the word feeling for how the body is and an emotion. And it's what I go over in the book at some stage. The emotion is a combination of two things. It's a combination of the feeling in the body whatever either the tightness whatever the emptiness whatever's going on and the story we're telling ourselves and so the two reinforce each other now how it starts which is what you were getting at it usually starts as just a raw emotion where somebody says something and you react you spontaneously something gets triggered in you and you react and in that reaction the initial reaction is really just the, the physical thing comes first the body reacts but then you know behind that is an unconscious story which you're not initially aware of but then as as it's there very soon afterwards you start becoming aware of what it is you're telling yourself why you reacted that way and so then then the two things are there there's the feeling in the body and and the story and we can let we can let go of both of those either is a good approach or both but what i suggest is first of all looking at what is happening in the body because we so easily in our culture go to our head we go to our minds we go to the story um, we don't go to the body so easily so that's why i encourage that first now does that make any sense to you your question or is there something i'm not seeing that you want to touch on no no, thank you. That makes perfect sense. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you, thank Juanita. You so thank you, Juanita. Anybody else who has some questions? Noel? Well, you'll be reading the book. You didn't have any questions at all when you were reading it. <laughs> Noel, do you have any questions? Nope. And I have to say, um, I haven't been, it, this is so fascinating. I listened to a talk, um, a recorded talk between you and um, a gentleman last night um, from your website. And I'm trying to, it's back. Um, oh, something. Buddha at the Gas Pump? Yeah, Buddha at the Gas Pump. That's, That's right. a long talk, yeah. about two hours. That was, a, that was a very long talk. Yes. Um, and it was it was really interesting and um i'm just kind of there was a couple of allusions to um um consciousness as more fundamental than matter <laughs> and i was wondering if you i mean it's so complex but do you think that that is really the direction that science is headed now i i'm yeah. I do, yes. Yeah. He doesn't realize it. 
<laughs> um, but it's the direction where, I mean, if you'd said that 20 years ago, nobody would have, you know, everybody said, oh, dear, don't be so stupid. You know, obviously, because the, the prevailing scientific worldview is that consciousness comes out of matter somehow. It comes out of the brain. We don't know how, but somehow the brain generates consciousness. Now, what that leads to is what in philosophy is now called the hard problem of consciousness, which is the brain, the brain certainly influences what we experience, you know, what we're seeing, the brain is processing the visual information. If you're, you know, feeling some emotion, the brain's processing it. The brain is certainly very influential, it's, you know, is creating what we experience, it's creating what appears in consciousness from what we see here what we feel all of that our thoughts are being created by the brain there's no doubt about that and that's called the easy problem of consciousness being easy means maybe in 50 or 100 years we will actually understand what's going on in the brain when we fall in love or solve a mathematical problem or whatever or enjoy the taste of a strawberry we may years ahead understand what's going on in the brain when we have that experience but that's the easy problem the hard problem is why is there consciousness in the first place and none of that explains why there is this capacity to have an inner experience and so that's been getting a lot of we're increasing attention in the scientific community particularly i mean in the sort of in psychology but also in philosophy and in brain sciences and where people are beginning to shift to just a few of the people it's getting to happen now it's getting a bigger and bigger voice is the realization that being conscious is probably just part of life that it isn't just human beings are conscious all creatures have experiences i think any of us have got pets you know we don't think of them as biological robots you know, we know, I mean, I have a dog, I take care of a lot. It clearly, it gets bored, it gets frightened, it gets excited. It's having experiences, it has memories, it recognizes things. And I think there's, there's nowhere you can draw the line. The deeper you go, you know, do, do spiders have consciousness? I would say yes, their experience may not be nearly as rich as ours. I don't think they have, they don't think. I don't think even dogs think like we do. But you, there's nowhere you can draw a line and say, oh, down at this level, there's no consciousness. You have to say it goes all the way. There's some, some faint sense of awareness all the way. So the brain doesn't create consciousness. The brain, if you like, populates consciousness with experiences. It fills it fills consciousness with whatever you're experiencing. And, and so by that, that view, that consciousness is already there and so that that's the first step in the argument that conscious consciousness is fundamental to life and probably fundamental yeah. fundamental to the universe and then you can go a stage further and say you know what is actually out there you know we don't know when we what physics does you know it studies stuff it finds molecules it finds atoms they're just ideas we don't know what they are. They're theories, they seem to work, and currently they seem to work all our theories. But it's the brain that creates the experience. I mean, for example, 
you know, when I, when I see a tree, you know, I see the leaf of a tree, what's happening is light, it isn't even green light, light of a certain frequency enters my eye and sends electrical signals back to the brain, but they aren't green electrical signals. And those, the brain very cleverly puts it all together and creates for me an image of a tree out there and colors it, colors it green for me. And so all that, all that we think of as matter, and this is the point, all that we think of as matter is actually created in the mind, an idea in the mind. And so when it comes to that, it's, we don't actually know what matter is. And one of my favorite quotes is from a German physicist, Hans Peter Dürer, who said, whatever matter is, it's not made of matter. <laughs> you know, it's made of waves, or we don't know what it is. It's not made, we see it as matter. You know, at this level, we see it as solid matter. But when you get down there and really investigate what's there. There's so much space and, so and much. there's, yeah, it's more space than anything. Right, um, it's all space. And so <laughs> that's where the idea comes that inner consciousness is actually more fundamental than matter because matter is a concept created in consciousness and you know so i'm sure a dog doesn't think about matter <laughs> i don't think it does but it still experiences matter it experiences a green tree maybe it sees it slightly differently but it's creating its experience of matter out of it and i think that goes you know all the way down so that's it's a very complex subject it has a very simple explanation of it Boy, is it ever. It's, it's, it's really, <laughs> it is definitely. So, Thank you so much, Noelle. Thank you. Did you have something else to say there? Mm -mm, no, no. Okay. Um, uh, jo Joni, Joni had her hand up. Joni. Hi. Um, Hi. Thank, thanks, Jen, for, for inviting me. And Peter, it's really nice to meet you, as it is everyone here. Um, I didn't read your book, but I'm very happy to know about it. Um, I'm a meditation teacher in Northern California. I, I actually know Zaya and Mauricio Benazzo. Um, I know I'm acquaintances of them. I think you live right behind my brother in Sebastopol. Anyway, um, I, live on their, I live on their property. Yeah, right behind my brother, Tom and Judy. Yeah. Oh. That's your brother. Yes. Oh, ah, okay. I can, I can see yeah. their garden. I can see their garden. <laughs> and it's funny that we happen. I happen to find you because um, through Zaya, I've heard your name, and then I looked you up, and then I found this link to join this group today. And I thought, well, this is going to be really interesting, and it has been. Um, and I love what you're talking about. I'm a mindfulness teacher. So very much has to do with this. And I, I love your explanations. Um, how life really is an illusion and our, we kind of make it up as we go along just out of the lens of our experience. Um, this is how we get through life, isn't it? It's just kind of how we deal with what goes on. Um, and that the whole quantum physics of the universal energy and use of universal consciousness is how can one explain that it's it's more of 
what I've seen developing a curiosity about absolutely everything we think mm-hmm. and come across. Yeah. Um, it's never as we as it appears. It's something we tell ourselves in our mind. We give it a name. We all agree that it's going to be called something. Yes. And then we we deal with life as it comes. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things you said that I found really interesting, and I and I wanted to make notes about that, was your ideas on um, what we call in Buddhism the four foundations of mindfulness and and feeling the emotions and our triggers and our reactions in our body. Yeah. It's so important because when we go through life, we're not always conscious of, of our physical reactions. We're not even clear on what our emotional reactions are mm-hmm. or our logical reactions. But when we can really zero in on how we feel things in our body, um, how we notice how we tense up or, or our fight or flight kicks in, mm-hmm. it's so important with dealing with life. And to, and I've noticed that not only can life trigger our body, but when we learn how to identify that and calm that down and slow that down, that in turn Mm -hmm. triggers our mind. Yeah. So thank you so much for, for all of this on, on stories, on, on how we think and how our habitual, you know, our our life experience really cover colors everything we do, and every single one of us is different. We're all so unique. Yeah, we're all so unique. And what I think I may agree with with you, maybe have nothing to do with what you just said. It's my view, right, on what you just right. said. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is fine, and that's that's how we all are. But you're absolutely right, and that's why you know. For me, the key word is being curious, being curious about what's going on, why, and not, you know, all we often see is the surface, oh, I'm, I'm thinking this, reacting this, but why, what's going on, what's happening here? And you know, what I was talking about, you know, matter and consciousness, that's just mind candy. It's just, you know, it's a nice, it's stuff to entertain our intellectual mind. But, and that's why I don't talk about it much these days. The more important thing is how can we actually, how can we let go? How can we, yeah, let go of whatever's getting in our way and come back to, you know, our true being, our true essence and and basically be more at ease, to feel, to feel more content. I mean, that's, that's our fundamental drive. I mean, it, as you know, you know, Buddhism from, you know, the, the root meaning of dukkha, suffering, is not being at ease, feeling dis-ease, feeling discontent with things. And that's where so many of us are, in one way or another. We spend a lot of our time discontent, complaining, wishing things were different, hoping for something. And that's all our own creation. It's all our own creation. And that's why if we can sort of let things be, accept things as they are, we stop creating a lot of that unnecessary discontent and all the burdensome feelings that go with it yeah yeah good yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah great thank, thank you. you uh joni yeah. thank you so much glad you're doing um, glad you're doing good work like that yes and you actually yeah you're in sebastopol teaching sebastopol as well i don't i actually live in kelseyville which is in lake county about an hour yeah. and a half north of yeah. 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 yeah yeah okay yeah okay 
Um, any it, other questions? I'm sorry, go ahead. Sorry about that. <laughs> Did not mean to, to talk over you there, Joni. I thought you were done. Uh, any other questions or comments? Does anybody have any comments? Just any general comments or any other questions? Cheryl, did you have something or? Well, I was I was thinking when I was uh, I'm actually listening to your book on the uh, on my uh, phone, and uh, when you were talking, you were, you just brought up the dog scenario, and it's funny because when I was listening to you talk about um, ego, I was thinking about my dog because <laughs> mm -hmm. everything is about the dog you know, um, at that moment and about themselves and kind of the same as, I guess, your child, um, how you were as a child, right? Because mm -hmm. um, you were saying, you were just mentioning that uh, you, you're not sure what dogs think. Um, I don't know, is it possible that they just, that's as far as they go, whereas humans take it further as they mature and as the yeah. world comes into the yes what i was when i said i'm not sure what they think i'm not even sure that they think right i think thinking thinking as we think of thinking is right. a unique is a uniquely human thing because most of our thinking is actually us chatting to ourselves right we're telling ourselves we're commenting on what's going on what we want how to do something we're planning something, whatever it is complaining so our thinking is a conversation we're having with ourselves, and that's because we can speak in semantic language you know like i'm speaking to you now we could we could have conversations all animals communicate in some way or another you know a dog with different barks and things mm -hmm. but we have semantic language which means we have much much more complex communication about meanings and abstract ideas and all of that stuff mm -hmm. and so you know what we tend to do is then talk to us as well as talking to you i talk to myself inside we talk to ourselves mm -hmm. so that's a lot of our thinking so i think i don't think dogs have the sort of language we do and so I don't think it engages in chatting to itself about what's going on, which mm -hmm. is a blessing because then it, it is just in the present moment. A dog is just being here now, like Eckhart Tolle, or not, I mean, um, Ram Dass said, be here now. A dog mm -hmm. is being here now. It's just in its experience in the moment. And when it gets upset, it's upset. And it, you know, it does something. When it sees a cat, it chases the cat. It's spontaneous, but it's there in the moment. Whereas our thinking, takes us out of the moment because nearly all of our thinking is about the past or the future in one way or another it's about yeah. the past or the future so our thinking takes our attention away from the present moment it takes our attention into something about the past or the future and so when we you know, let go of our thinking which is what a lot of you know meditation practices are about is about letting the thinking settle down not getting caught up in thought then we, we come back First, we come back more to the present moment, but we also come back to, to feeling at ease again, because our thinking is creating a lot of discontent, as I was saying earlier. So when we let go mm -hmm. of the thinking, we come back to feeling more at ease. Right. And, and another part that um, stood out for me was uh, your section on forgiveness. Um, that's a really hard thing. That's a hard process for a lot of people. Um, I don't know if you can elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
Well, as I say at the outset of that little um, piece, forgiveness isn't letting someone off the hook. You know, we usually think of forgiveness as, you know, you did wrong, but I'm not going to punish you this time. I forgive you for what you did. I'm not going to punish you. I'll let you off. That's the way it's often thought of you. Will you forgive me means, will you stop getting on at me about this? Will you, will you let me off? That's not the real meaning of forgiveness is actually letting go of the judgment we're holding. So let's okay. come back to the case of anger that I was talking about earlier. So if we're angry at somebody, we're holding some story about them. Mm -hmm. And the forgiveness is letting go of that story, you know, as I say, beginning to see things from their point of view. So it's, it's letting go of the judgments we're holding, the grievances we're holding. It's something we're doing in ourselves that we're creating about the other person. We're creating some story, something or other, some thought, some perception of them, that they are somehow wrong in some way or another. And so the forgiveness is letting go of our story that they did something wrong. And, and then I point out that, so when we forgive someone, we're actually doing it for ourselves. Right. Because we begin, we feel better for it. The other mm -hmm. person may not even know you've forgiven them. Mm -hmm. They may not even know you were judging them or being angry. They mm -hmm. don't know you've forgiven them unless you tell them. But what the forgiveness we do for ourselves to allow ourselves to come back to feeling at ease so we're not creating so much discomfort and distress for ourselves. Yeah, I, I can see that. It will give you peace. Yeah, because um, our grievance, whatever it was, is stopping us being at peace. You can't be you know, upset at someone and be at peace at the same time. The upset is dominating. So when we let go of the upset, then we return to that more peaceful state, a more contented state. It's, it's we, we get in the way of that the whole time. Right. Thanks. That was great. Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Cheryl. Um, we have just probably a time for one more question. Looks like Pauline, you're ready to go there. Pauline, do you have a question? Yes. Well, I have a statement and I wondered um, and I wanted a response. Yeah. And I guess I think everything is about perception. And changing one's perception changes one's reality. And so if you think you're a healthy person, even though you may have had cancer five times, then you're a healthy person. I mean, if you, if you think that life is beautiful, then life is beautiful. That changes your reality. Um, so I guess my, my comment is that how we perceive our lives is, is what we create, right? Yeah, yeah. And that comes again, you know, where we started, you know, the lens through which you're seeing things. We, we see everything through a lens. And often we get trapped in a, you know, a rather um, negative lens about things. But if we can see things through a positive lens, then that affects everything. So the way we perceive something, you're right, is absolutely essential. When we when we see things through a more positive lens, 
that changes how we feel about things. It may, but not only changes how we feel about things, we begin to actually see things differently and may begin to see, may begin to see opportunities that weren't actually there to begin with, or they were there, but we couldn't see them. Or we may, you know, begin to see how we were creating unnecessary discomfort for ourselves. We begin, we may get, I would say we get greater clarity in ourselves about what, what is going on. So de definitely, yes, the way we, so that's really important because that's one thing we do have control over. We may not have control over what's going on in the world. We may not always have control over what's going on in our bodies, but the way we see things is something we do have control over. It's something we can choose. And that's probably one of the most important uses of choice is to choose how we see things and to see things yeah. through, yeah, through a positive eye, not an unrealistic eye. I mean, not, you know, sometimes I see people, I hear people saying things which I think, oh, come on, you know, that, you know that's not, that, that can't be true. You know, be, be realistic. You know, but you're saying, you know, life is beautiful. Yes, that's, that's a realistic thing. Life is beautiful. It's uh, just to have gratitude. I mean, I find it's really helpful just to have gratitude for being alive, being here, whatever, our own particular life. Yeah. Mm. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Pauline, very much. Sally, if you got a real quick, Peter, we have six minutes left. Peter has okay, a, it, an appointment. It, it's quick to say. I don't know about the answer. Okay. Um, <laughs> what do you mean by universal consciousness? Ah, good. What do I mean by it? Or, yeah. What do I mean by it? Not what most people mean by it. Um, when I say universe, when I say universal consciousness, I'm not talking about a consciousness of the you know that the universe has, but that consciousness is universal to everything. Consciousness, everything has consciousness. So consciousness is a universal quality of everything. So that's what I mean by universal. That it every being, every being is conscious in some way or another. So it's a universal quality of everybody. That's what I mean by universal consciousness. And so, you know, as we dig deeper into our consciousness and we, you know, begin to let go of some of the troubling perceptions and thoughts and things, we drop back to that state of feeling more at ease, feeling more at peace. And that I think is a universal quality that we can all tap into. I think it's for each of us, we have that potential to be more at peace, more at ease, more loving. So that is a universal potential. You know, we all live totally different life. What goes on in your mind, I have no idea. It's totally different from what goes on in my mind, in our lives. We all live very individual realities. But deep, deep down, our reality is, is the same. So it's universal in that sense. That, you know, what we're looking for ultimately is peace, ease, contentment, love. They are universal motivations all of us thank you sally thank you uh peter there um we're gonna need to call it stops there i just have one more question uh i heard you say that consciousness may not be the correct word ah thank you yes real quick because it's a noun and means we think it's a thing. When we add N-E-S-S -S to an adjective, 
we turn it into a noun in order that we can talk about it. So, you know, happiness, being happy exists, but happiness is just a, you know, it's just an abstract noun. Happiness doesn't exist, but being happy is a real experience we all know. And so it isn't that consciousness exists, but conscious, being conscious is something we all know. It's the one absolute truth of our life. Whatever is going on in us, whatever is, whatever we're thinking, feeling, experiencing, dreaming at night, whatever, is is appearing in we are conscious of. So what we all are is conscious. That's the universal quality of being conscious. And then we make a mistake to call it consciousness and then start saying, what is consciousness? It's a silly question. We all know what it means to be conscious. We don't ever ask what is consciousness. We know exactly, each and every one of us, how it is to be conscious and conscious of our experience and thoughts and all that stuff and feelings. Yeah. So fascinating, so fascinating. I'll tell you, it has been such a joy. It's such a joy just learning about you. I, I listen to you at night and I, I have my earbuds on at night and I fall asleep and I'll tell you, it's the neatest thing to be sort of sleeping and hear you saying consciousness this and, con and I'm like, I'm loving it. I'm like in this dream state all the time anymore. <laughs> and I totally love it. Um, you do have to go. And I, I just I thank you so very much. Before you go, though, the book is Letting Go of Nothing, Letting Go of No Thing. Um, it's available as far as I know everywhere. I got it on Amazon and it's it's a beautiful little book. It's very easy to read. The sections are only like a page or two. It's, it's actually a wonderful gift. I think I'm going to be passing these out for Christmas this year. Um, right. And, it's, and then, it's available as audio book as well for a lot of people who like to listen to books in my right. own in my own voice yeah. uh, oh wow it's in your own voice that's good that's cool but yeah go to peterrussell.com that's two s's and two l's yeah peterrussell.com and everything is there he's got a magnificent website tons and tons of stuff i just myself signed up for his meditation course he has a a, a, a donate what you feel it's worth uh, type thing for his meditation course and um I just, I, I hope that we can have you back sometime because I think we all want a, a college course here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, thank you so much for inviting me and being part of this, Peter, thank you so much. Enjoy thank you, this. thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Stay well, stay well. I will, and you all, okay. Thank you. Thanks everyone, thanks so much. PeterRussell.com. Yes. Namaste. 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 I'm sorry I have to leave now, but. Okay, honest. Bye-bye. Be safe. Thank you.